Good morning. Thank you for being here today. If you have your Bible, I invite you to go to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we will be today. Today we're unpacking Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Many of you are going to be familiar with this passage, and these verses contain some of the most uh, dynamic, life-giving truths in all of the Bible. I would imagine verses 7 through 8 are on your life's list of favorite verses. They were on mine, and up until about four days ago, I really had no idea what they actually meant. But upon studying Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, upon studying them, I walk away with a choice that we must make. The choice is this, between Christ and everything else. That's the choice that we see here today. Today we will begin reading with the context of verse 4, and we will read to verse 11. And I'm going to ask you to please stand if you're able to do so for the reading of God's word here this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 says, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law found blameless. But, contrast, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ, elevated. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of their surpassing value, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Verse 9. And that I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And that I may know Him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Question. What do you prize the most? What are your priorities? Our priorities in life are revealed by our trophies. If you think about it, trophies commemorate... Or they show pride in a past decision or past accomplishment. Trophies reveal our priorities. If a friend came over to your house and they looked at the trophy case of your life, which trophies would you show them? If you let them see your trophy case, a case full of the highlights and the accomplishments or priorities of your life, which ones would you show most proudly. I imagine many of us would show off first the trophy of our children. Many of us would show the prize and pride of our children proving that we were good parents. Maybe on that trophy you would have pictures of your actual children as you beam with pride. If your friends were there, what other trophies would you show? I imagine some of us would show us the trophy of our marriage. Maybe some of us are very proud of our marriage, commemorating our faithfulness to our spouse and vice versa. 
Maybe another trophy we would show is our hardworking trophy. Maybe you were a good engineer. Maybe you were a good manager. Maybe you were a good homemaker. Maybe another would be a trophy showing your net worth. Maybe the day you crossed a half a million dollars saved made you very proud. Uh, Maybe some of us would show, in our life case, uh, proud of our hobbies. You know, maybe you built a house. Or maybe as an engineer you built a new rocket ship. Or maybe you built an actual Star Trek transporter. Who's the one that tries that for the very first time? I'm just saying. Maybe another trophy in that case would be one that commemorates your faithfulness to your church. Maybe on that trophy you have a number of how many years you served in Awana or how many years you served as a deacon or elder or as a faithful member of the prayer team. If you had a case full of what you prize, what would you show with most pride? But what's missing? Out of all of the trophies that I mentioned, there is something missing. What should be our most valued, prized trophy of all? What should we show most proudly? And now what I find interesting is one's difficulty to answer what should be our greatest trophy of all. What I find interesting is that we find that very difficult and that reveals a lot of sadness. Our most prized trophy, our most valuable prize above our children, above our jobs, above our marriage, above all of the prestige above all of the glory of the world, above them all, our most valuable prize should be Christ. Because think about it, if He is our trophy, or if we are, excuse me, if we are His trophy, then He should be ours. Imagine being God for just a second. Here is God. He sent His Son to the cross to pay for our sin. And even further than that, Through the words and letters and lines and books and the multiple authors, we see in this book a great many truths, awesome awesome truths. But there is a foundational truth that we see in every page of the scripture. That we as human beings, that we are God's most valuable creation. God's most prized creation is you. You are God's most valuable creation. How else Do you explain the scripture? How else do you explain the redemptive story of God? We see our sin in Genesis chapter 1 through 3, and basically for the rest of the book, God is unfolding to us his redemptive plan for all of mankind that comes to fruition through the cross. Friends, do not be fooled. Do not run from the truth that you are God's most valuable creation and that this book is God's love letter to us. What I find amazing is that God has not locked us away in some case as his greatest accomplishment. But rather, God sees his creation. He sees you as Christians. He sees us as his children. And as his child, he does not want us to approach him through a list of rules and things that we did right and wrong. God wants us to approach the throne of grace. He wants us to approach him in relationship, in love. 
Friends, you aren't just meant to know about God. You are meant to know God. Can I say that again? You aren't just meant to know about God. You are meant to know God. You are meant to have an intimate relationship with Him. But in order to gain that, in order to know Christ fully, in order to know Him intimately, we must make a choice. And the choice that we must make is unfolded in our passage today. We must make a choice in our daily lives. Every day that we wake up, we must ask ourselves the question, Christ or everything else? And until we make Christ above everything else, we will really never know Him as we should. Paul, in our passage today, this is the choice that he shows that we must make. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, which was our passage last week, Paul reveals in these three verses, he reveals his past trophies, past things that he prioritized, that he showed off with great pride. And remember me talking last week, Paul on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts, Paul on the road to Damascus, he realizes that all of the prizes of religion, all of the prizes of wealth, all of the trophies of relationship pale in comparison to the greatness of God and to knowing Him. In our passage today, Paul makes his choice clear. The choice is simple. Between Christ or everything else. But what I find beautiful about this passage, not only does it just give us life, but what I find amazing about it is that Paul unfolds for us two results. We see Paul's three decisions that he makes, and we see two results of that decision. So if you have your Bible, go back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, and we will begin with verse 7, it says this. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I imagine that we have heard that verse so much, it kind of becomes a bit stale, like old bread left out overnight, okay? But, It's actually magnificent. What choice does Paul make? What does he say? He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted. If you see that word counted, sub in the word, which makes a little bit more sense, sub in the word choose. Paul chose, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have chosen as lost for the sake of Christ. But whatever things, the first phrase, what is he referring to? He's referring to verses 4 through 6. The things that were gained to him through religion, being circumcised on the eighth day, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, having zeal, being a persecutor of the church, all those things that he considered gained to him, he considered now as loss for the sake of Christ. Point number one is this, to choose Christ over religion. To choose Christ over religion. Religion, what I mean by that is just rules, rituals, legalistic standards. I see really religion as pursuing God with anything else besides grace, love, and truth. 
And that's what we would see in verse 4 through 6, that Paul finds his religion being circumcised the eighth day, Hebrew of Hebrew being a Pharisee, and even blameless under law. He sees those things as loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. But it's not just loss. He doesn't just see it as loss. He actually sees it, those things, as detriment. The word loss in verse 7, which is repeated in verse 8, that word loss means detriment. It means a hindrance. It's used in Acts chapter 27 to to refer to a ship with damage. So, Paul not only has thrown out his religious MVP trophies that he's been trained over Gamaliel, he has all of the legalistic religious standards of the day. He is the man, as I mentioned. He is the all-star MVP of Judaism. Not only does he consider that, not only does he throw that out, but he actually considers all of those religious standards and rules, he sees it as a detriment, as something that really holds him back. It damages his soul. This is true. This is true for us even today. That Christianity without Christ as priority becomes a religious religious detriment. Without Christ as priority, religion then causes damage to our spiritual life, to our church, and to our family. Friends, without Christ as priority... We will then look to rules, or we will look to dress, or we will look to other religious leaders to dictate what spirituality really looks like. Friends, let us stop trying to live like other people say. Can I say it that way? Let us stop living like other people say, and let us strive to live like this says. Like the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that is inside of you guiding you to live this way. Let us view Christianity not as a religion, as a list of rules and legalistic and standards and dress and I must appear a certain way. Let us kind of go beyond that, but let us see Christianity as it really is. That Christianity is a a religion, I would say that, of relationship that we as Christians are meant to truly know God. That we're not just meant to know him through an institution called the church, but that when we open the scripture, we are, it should be a constant striving to know our God and our Savior. Can I get an amen, please? Thank you. In comparison, religious accomplishments compared to Christ, religious accomplishments are a detriment to our soul. But then Paul elevates it even more. If you notice in verse 8, Paul, with three simple words, he elevates his priority of Christ even further. Verse 8. He says, more than that, more than just considering Christ above religion, more than that I count or replace choose or chose, I chose all things to be detriment in view of... Of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Point number one is to choose Christ over religion. And point number two, to choose Christ over all things. That's what Paul does. Paul heightens Christ as priority. He says, 
more than that, with those three simple words, Paul says that Christ should be superior. He should be our priority above all things. But catch the detriment. If we prioritize anything over Christ, then we are living life as we as if we are sailing through life on a damaged ship. But I want you to notice that word knowing. If you notice that word knowing in verse 7 and 8, what that word knowing is actually not oida. Oida is a factual knowledge. This word is gnosko, which means an intimate understanding or intimate knowledge of God. So when we prioritize God, then we have the ability to know Him intimately. I grew up in church, and for the first time at age 17, I heard that as a Christian, I was meant to have an intimate relationship with God, and that was some 17 years ago, and that day changed my life forever. Because to that point, I saw Paul. I thought that religion, that Christianity was about being a good person or putting on a good face for everybody or obeying rules. But really, knowing Christ above all is really superior to all of the rules that I may construct. But can I ask you a question? The question is this, why is making Christ a priority over everything else? Why is making Christ priority necessary for me to know him intimately? Why must I choose Christ above all things in order for me to really know Him? Why must Christ be above my children and my family and my wife, above my church, above my religion, above my occupation in order for me to know? To illustrate why, I want you to think about marriage for just a second. What is the one essential ingredient to having a life-giving marriage? Some of us would say communication or time, but there's something even more foundational than that. What is the one essential ingredient to having an intimate marriage? It is chastity, right? There is no marriage on the face of the earth that has been close and intimate and life-giving if that is if chastity is not at the center of it. God likewise demands the chastity of our heart in order to know him fully. Paul makes a choice to prioritize Christ above religion, above all things, but then notice Paul's Third choice in the latter part of verse 8. It says this, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count, notice that word again, it's the third time it's used, and count them, but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Not only did Paul choose Christ above religion, not only did Paul choose Christ above all things, but now Paul has chosen to view those things. As rubbish. He takes them and he throws them out. He sees them as rubbish so that he can gain or know Christ. The word rubbish in verse 8 is really, uh, we would say, graphic. It is very vulgar. It's quite vulgar. 
it actually, because of the context in verse 2 where it says, because of the dogs, the rubbish here refers to human feces and garbage that in that culture was gathered and was thrown out into the streets for dogs to rummage through. So catch the metaphor. Paul makes the conscious decision to to see the things that he formerly valued. He makes the decision to basically take all of that rubbish, rubbish, and he puts it in a chamber pot and he throws it out in the streets for those Judaizers, those dogs in verse 2, for them to rummage through and for them to value. That's what he's basically saying. But listen to this thought from a guy that's a lot smarter, smarter than me. He says, as Paul implies that the gaining of Christ requires the loss of all former things, Because to be rich in Christ means to be rich in him alone. This guy continues, says this. For Paul, it is a theological truth that grace and self-confidence are in radical antithesis. Grace plus anything cancels out grace. So Paul, in comparison to Christ, He sees religion, he really sees all things to be so devalued that he sees it as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. But then notice the two results. Notice verse 9 and 10. One is found in verse 9 and one is found in verse 10, but we will begin in verse 8. He says more than that. I consider I choose all things to be lost in the view of this passing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but garbage so that I may gain Christ. Notice the result, verse 9. So that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, and number 2, that I may know him. Same word, it's intimate knowledge as in verse 8. That I may know him well or deeply. And he, in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. What are the results of me valuing Christ above religion and above all things? Result number 1 is that I may find in him. Find in him what? That I may find in him not, not, circle that word, not having a righteousness. What that word righteousness there means, a right standing before God. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, from rules. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That Paul, when he chooses Christ above all, he realizes, number one, that righteousness, a righteous standing before God, does not come through obeying rules. Can I say it another way? It does not come through being, quote-unquote, a good person. You can't make it to heaven by being a good person. Why? Because we all make mistakes. Can I get an amen with that one? Thank you. So, Paul has found in Christ not having a righteousness which is based on the law, but rather which is through, notice that word, through faith in Christ. 
that Paul has found in Christ that the only way to a right standing before God is by believing in Jesus Christ. I know that we have heard this gospel so many times. Like I say, it becomes kind of like that stale old bread we leave on the counter overnight. But if you are checked out right now, check back in. Because the most beautiful thing that you can never hear enough is that you cannot attain righteousness, you cannot attain a right standing before God, you cannot gain heaven by obeying enough rules, by understanding enough principles, or by being a good person. The one who comes to God must, 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 must come through faith in Christ alone. I hope for your sake, even if you're a Christian for the last 60 or 70 or 80 years, I hope that that never gets old. And if you're saying to yourself that Paul seems like a, you know, a one, one hit wonder, okay, he is. In every passage, almost in every epistle, Paul mentions that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. He reminds his audience that he, in Philippians, the church of Philippi, that they can't earn it. That those Judaizers who are trying to convince them that they must be circumcised, that they must obey the law, that that is baloney. It's rubbish. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Paul, because he elevates Christ, he finds in him a righteousness by faith and not by works. And notice the second result of setting Christ as priority. Verse 10. That I may know him. Circle that phrase. May be found in him. Circle that. In verse 10. That I may know him intimately. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. What is the second result of Paul choosing Christ above all things? Result number two is that he may know him. Once again, that word know is an intimate, deep knowledge that we as Christians, that we weren't necessarily meant to just know God through an institution. We were meant to know God through His Spirit that He has given us through His Word and in fellowship with one another and that we are meant to live in an intimate relationship with God. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but if you haven't heard that, I'm saying it today, that you are meant to know Him. God is a jealous God. And God does not share His glory with another. God is a jealous God who pursues His creation until His creation glorifies Him as supreme. And only when God is in His rightful place as first in our life, only then can we really find and see and understand Him fully. But then notice the next two phrases. What does it mean to really know him intimately? Notice the next two phrases. To know him means to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. To know Christ in part means to know the power of his resurrection. 
What does that mean? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important historical fact to Christians. That without the resurrection... Without Jesus' body raising from the dead, which we celebrate on Easter, without Him raising from the dead, there is no redemption, there is no glorification. Without the resurrection, there is no hope, there is no Savior. And without the resurrection, all of the promises of the Bible are void. But since He is raised from the dead, it does a couple of things. Not only do I inherit that power, what does that mean? It means that the power of Christ's resurrection guarantees my own. That when Jesus returns, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that we are resurrected with him, correct? But then number two, what else does it provide me? It provides me assurance not only of the imminent future of Christ's return, but it provides me assurance right here, right now. And that would make total sense within the context of Philippians chapter 3. What is Paul facing in his life right now? Paul is facing immense suffering. He is sitting in a prison cell, waiting, potentially, for his head to be cut off before Emperor Nero. I've said that before. But knowing Christ, and knowing the power of his resurrection, Paul can sit there in prison and say to rejoice in the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 3. He can say, rejoice in the Lord. Why? If there is no bodily resurrection, if Christ does not return, if there is no heaven, then it is impossible to rejoice in the midst of suffering. But Paul sits there in prison knowing that Christ's return is imminent. So he can look at his present suffering and he can rejoice because he knows the power of the resurrection. He knows his future promise that Christ's return rescues him from his present suffering. Prioritizing Christ allows us to know him in the power of his resurrection, but then also it allows us to know, number two, the fellowship of his sufferings. Right here, fellowship is koinonia, which means participate or to know, to fellowship in his sufferings. The more I read the scripture and the more I live, I'll say it that way, I see that suffering is part of the Christian life. Can I get an amen to that one? <laughs> I mean, suffering is not fun. Can we get an amen to that one? Suffering stinks. It's hard. But it's part of the Christian life, and it always has been. What did Jesus say? He said, anyone wants to come after me, he must take up his cross, or must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That being a Christian is also not only a call to follow, but it is a call to suffer. So when you believe in Christ, it is also a call to suffer, participate in the sufferings of Christ. But what I found in the Christian life, and I would imagine most of you would probably affirm this if you have suffered well, that if we allow it, suffering reveals God. It allows us to know Him more. Personally, in times of great suffering, is when I have found Christ the most. 
You all know my story, but I remember the week my son passed away, 10 days before his second birthday. In that week, the Lord met me in that place, and he dragged me down into a deeper understanding of who he was. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain and loss, though, we must make a choice. That week, I had to make a choice. I could either trust God or I could disown God. It's the only two choices you can make. It's really this, that when you suffer, you must choose between Christ and everything else. Right? That when you suffer great loss, that this is your choice. That you can choose to believe the God of the Bible, that God is a God of love and grace, despite what your circumstances may say. That in that time, you can choose where you go and how you believe. But in the moments of pain, in the moments of suffering, which is part of the Christian life, it's just part of it. You can choose Christ above all things. And if you choose Christ, then in those moments... God reveals who He really is. That if you prioritize Christ above all else, God will show you that He has not forsaken you. That God is still a God of love that in fact, despite what the world says, that God is actually walking beside you. And that God is leading you out of the valley of the shadow of death. If you will just follow and believe and prioritize him above all. Paul rejoices in his suffering because he knows God. Because he understands the power of his resurrection. He understands the imminent return of Christ and the rescue that he has from suffering. And he sees suffering as a way that we know Christ even deeper. You know, I wish sometimes that we didn't have to suffer and that we could know Christ without it. Can I really? Amen. But just part of life is part of suffering. When we choose to suffer well, we will find Christ even greater and even more loving than we would ever have imagined before. And notice verse 11. Paul rejoices in his suffering, mentioned in verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul endures suffering knowing that Christ will return and resurrect all believers to a restorative state of paradise in heaven. My point today is quite simple, is to choose Christ over religion and to choose Christ over all things. And only when you choose Christ, then and only then, will you understand fully, will you really appreciate the truth of the gospel, the truth of righteousness which comes on the basis of faith in Christ. And only when you choose Christ above everything else, until you decide to view the former things of the world as something to be collected in a chamber pot and thrown out in the streets... Until we prioritize that, we will never really know him the way we should. 
So the choice is ours. Which, which do you choose? Christ or everything else? Christ must be supreme. Which do you choose? Do you choose Christ or everything else? Which do you prize more? And I would encourage you that if you make a choice such as that, that you take that choice and you remind yourself of it every morning. Because life grinds us down, it discourages us, but when we remember that we prioritize Him above all, then and only then can we really appreciate and be found in Him a righteousness which is not derived from the law, and can we really know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Christ or everything else. Friends, until Christ is the prize in our life, until Christ is our trophy above religion, above family, above children, above church, above money, until Christ is our prize above fame and glory and popularity, until we choose Him, until we place Him on the altar as supreme in our life, until then we will never know Him as we should, because God does not share glory. And only until He is our trophy, the only one that we really prize above all things, until then can we really find in Him a righteousness which comes from grace and love. Only until He is our priority can we truly find satisfaction and assistance in our parenting. Let's just take it there on a real practical level. You know, if you want your children to live a godly life, what is the most important thing for you to do? It's not necessarily to drag them to church kicking and screaming, as though that is important. It's not necessarily dragging dragging them to wanna kicking and screaming, although that is important. What is the most important thing that you can do to teach your children to love God? This guy, right? It is for you as a parent to live the life that you want them to live. For them to see that Christ is supreme in your life, above even your children, will dictate to them that they must live the same way. Only when we prioritize Christ above all else can we see true blessing and monetary success. Without Christ as supreme, we will be like the world's richest man in history guy named John D. Rockefeller. I think he'd be worth like $400 billion today or something insane. But someone came up to him and asked him, you know, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. There is no satisfaction in that. You can save, but without Christ as supreme and as priority, money will never bring true satisfaction. Only when we choose Christ above all else can we understand what true Christianity is, that Christianity is not a religion. It's not just, if I obey enough things, then I'll be good with God. That if I memorize this, and I do this, and I'm a good parent, and I and make sure to obey everything, I'm good with God. Christianity is not about rules, but it's really this. Christianity is founded upon grace and love and truth. And then our love for God should then lead us to obey the commands of Scripture. 
Only when we prize Christ above all else will we see suffering correctly. I feel sorry for the people in the world that do not know Christ. Because they suffer too. (laughs) And without Christ, suffering is meaningless. But with Christ, as Christians, suffering does something. Suffering is never just empty and vain. Suffering is driving us towards knowing our Savior even more. It allows us to understand the heart of God. And God's heart reminds us of his imminent return and his love that is restorative. And only when we prioritize Christ can we really find true life in here? Can we find true life in here? And can we find true life in here? Friends, I don't know about you. I don't know where you stand. I would imagine many of you are believers in Jesus Christ. But as Christians... What do you prioritize? What what does your time go to? What does your thought life go to? What are you putting above Christ? I got my own list. But if you really want to know what it means to live the Christian life, it must be like this, that Christ above all else. Perhaps the beginning of a relationship with God is found in him, as mentioned in verse 9, that you do not find God God through religion, you do not find God necessarily through information and principles. You do not find God on the internet. You do not find God through Benny Hinn and his whacking of his coat. Um, You find God by faith in Christ alone. Do not be fooled. It's so simple. I'm just going to close with this. I don't really lead prayers of salvation. But if you have never placed your faith in Christ, then just pray to him. And say to him that I believe in Jesus Christ, that he has come and he's died for my sin, and that I will follow him the rest of my life, and that if you believe in him, that you will be saved. But that belief, do not be fooled, is not only a belief, it's not only a call to follow, but it's also a call to suffer If you have never believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then believe in him and be saved. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, what these verses are just so uh, life-giving and awesome. And, And Lord, they present such a foundational truth. That in order to really know you, we must prioritize you. That we must choose you above all things. And Lord, through that lens, then Lord, then we parent well, and then we love well, and we have a healthy marriage. But until then, we will walk through our life with severe dysfunction. And we are sinful human beings, and we will forget that we should prioritize you every day. Lord, remind us of what that means to really have you as first in our life, as supreme. 
Lord, I pray that as we get off the road, as we constantly need reminding of that whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. When we forget, I pray that we would remember that we do not serve a God that uh, just th- throws thunderbolts on us, but we serve a loving and forgiving God. That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray for those that are in this room, that we would choose you above all. And for those that do not know you as Savior, to those that have never surrendered to you, I pray that they would place their faith in you and you alone. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for just the beauty of the book of Philippians. I thank you for your inspired word. And I just thank you for what you are doing here at Calvary. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name.